I need to know everything Who and the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying But act like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George I hop in the Porsche There's five and a horse I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws To turn to a ghost I need to know everything Now you'll be surprised At the info you get Is by letting them talk Hey everyone I'm Ashley Asty, And I'm curious Aren't you? I'm Curious Podcast Brings the unfamiliar closer I'm telling stories and sharing conversations with people who remind us that love demands we move toward justice and that we're all connected. This opening music is called Curious George by Nate Rose. All right, let's get to it. I'm ready for smoke. I need to know everything. Who and the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop in the Porsche, there's five and a horse. I'm ready for war. I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything. Now they ain't go harder than me. My guest, Dion Ibarra, is invigorating. I feel like she's just pulsing with this life force energy, this passion, this feeling of being aligned. I listened back to this episode and I was like, wow, I had no idea how packed it was. I mean, I loved the episode the first time being live in the conversation, but listening back, it held so many secrets and messages that frankly, I personally needed myself exploring. I, I, you know, I love this moment where we explore the idea of something brewing in life, of being on that precipice, on that threshold, of having no fear of unleashing yourself, of birth and death and rebirth, of resilience and embracing age and all the magic and wisdom that comes as we grow. Dion is a birth doula. She's training to be a death doula. And she's also the founding director of the Wahini Project. The Wahini Project was created in 2010, originally as an effort to reach young girls around the world who would otherwise not have access to the resources that would allow them to learn to surf. Whether geographical, financial, or a lack of opportunity, the Wahini Project to this day seeks to break down the barriers that prevent the participation of youth in ocean sports and provide them the opportunity to not only become proficient water humans, but as a result of this relationship with the ocean, to increase their awareness of the vast possibilities of a future that will amplify their voice in climate change, environmental justice, and give them a sense of social responsibility that the ocean uniquely provides. I wanted to share the Wahini Manifesto that's on the website just because I thought it was beautiful. It says, I am Wahini. I'm the very essence of being human. We share what we have. Our humanity is caught up in one another. I am Wahini because I belong, I participate, I share. A wahini is open, available, and affirming to others. We do not feel threatened because other wahinis are able and good. I have self-assurance, and I feel bad when others are hurt. We may just start a chain reaction. About Dion, like I said, she's a birth doula, trained to be a death doula. I, I have a feeling, based on our conversation, that there's a lot more in there um, <laughs> that I don't know about. But what I do know, again, is that she's the founding director of the Wahimi Project. Dion is a Mexican-American woman born and raised in a marginalized neighborhood in East Salinas, California. The idea for the Wahini Project presented itself to her when she, as an adult, took up surfing, and it transformed her life. 
Since then, she sought to share the liberating and empowering experience of a relationship with the ocean. This conversation has been sitting with me for a few weeks now, and I feel so lucky that in it, Dion became one of my teachers that I got to listen and learn from her. I feel like that is one of the tremendous blessings of this podcast is that I feel like I am a perpetual student growing in the wisdom of the people who share space with me here. And I hope that you feel the same way, that you feel the inspiration and the invigoration. So let's dive in. I want to start this conversation at this this great place, this rich place, by talking about fear, actually. So just for some background for listeners, you started the Wahini Project, which is a global community that believes everyone deserves access to the ocean. And so the other day you had posted a video and you started the video by saying that you had spent the morning uh, in the sea with some girls teaching them. And you said you were teaching them to roll with their fear and let it move through their bodies. And I feel like the sea and, and fear have this mythic connection, like the mysterious, the unknown of adventure, of danger, like it could hold all of those things, uncertainty, the sense of thrill. So tell me more, how does the sea teach us about approaching fear? Well, it again, like what you said, it's the ocean is often synonymous with fear. It's a place that most people probably don't have an experience with, an engagement and an interaction with. And when they do, it might um, come with, you know, not always great memories of, you know, of, again, of being in the water and maybe getting pummeled in the water and people concerned about rip currents, people are concerned about sharks. So there's all the myth myths around the ocean too. And so what the ocean does is I feel when it, it meets us in our places of fear is in fear, we get stuck and we get stuck and we can't move through it and it inhibits us. And in the water, it's so perfectly metaphorical that water washes over us. And so it's like, we can use the metaphor for that washing over. And it's like, let the fear just wash over you and move through you. It's going mm. to pass if we allow it to, if we allow ourselves the opportunity to give us the experience to allow it to move past us. And, and in our project, the beauty of it is that we're together. You, you know, we tell these young girls and women's like, you don't have to do it alone. I'm going to be right here with you. Mm. And that reassurance I think has helped. It, it helped me when I was first going in the ocean. And I know it's just helped thousands of of youth that we've served and women to know that we were going to be right there alongside them as they, as their fear moved through them. And, and as we stood there with them and witnessed it and didn't judge them for mm. the, the look of fear on their face or the tears that came or whatever the emotions, whatever it looked like, we could just remain right there with them and see them through to the other side. Oh, that's beautiful. Cause I feel like that witnessing allows them to express and be all of who they are and know that it's okay. And I feel like it's just a life lesson because when you move through hard things that we are stronger and better when there's community to ask for help, to lean into that sense. The other thing you said, use the word inhibit, like our fear gets us stuck and it inhibits us. And in that same video that, you know, I, I just referenced you, 
I, you had this energy of like you were invigorated. You had just, you know, finished, I think it was your first day maybe of a body image workshop with Jade Beal. And, and for listeners who might know, she was on a previous episode of this show and you, you were inspired. And I'm, I'm going to quote you again. You said, I have no idea what's going to come out of me. I had been holding back. I feel like I'm sort of becoming unleashed. And I just love that word unleashed, that it just felt so good. So unpack that for me. What does it mean to become unleashed or what awareness has to shift in your body, in your spirit, in your knowing that allows you to embrace this sort of no holds barred feeling? Yeah, well, that day I had started the day early at the beach with work. And so I think the, you know, the energy at the beach made me feel really good. Um, It wasn't, you know, it was a little bit, it wasn't super warm. So it was just that little chill in the ocean air that sort of like wakes me up and the waves, like, you know, they energize me. And then the conversation that I had with Jade or in the class, it really was the conversation among all the women was hearing all of their stories. It just, I mean, part of what happens to us in fear. And when I, when I see it in other people, I feel angry at all of the reasons why they had to be afraid. I like want to be, I want to be alongside them. And I just want to say, I, you know, I feel angry at the, uh, the circumstances that happened in your life that caused you to become afraid. And so that always makes me like fiery, like passionate and protective. And, you know, I want to like speak out for those people on behalf of them. That always makes me feel charged. And so I think it was like just this morning of working with the kids, being at the beach, being with these women, and then feeling in this moment, this alignment with my own personal life where I I saw some, I could see other work that I'm also doing in my life. And then even look further back, what had been done years ago. And in this moment of just clarity, knowing that all of this was building up for me to do some other great big work. Mm. And, and then I just felt really free to be able to do whatever it is that's going to come to me. And I'm, and I, I'm feeling through what those things are, but I just felt this feeling of certainty that something is brewing Mm. and something is coming. It's almost like in the Mary Poppins movie, where the guy who cleans the the chimneys, he he can feel it in the weather, like oh, something's coming, something's coming, and it's yeah. going to be Mary Poppins. <laughs> like it just looks like something's happening. I can feel it, and that's what I was feeling. Like oh, it's all coming together. Everything's aligning. What's going to happen next? Yeah. And feeling of being unleashed is this feeling of of not of of not having fear. It's like, Mm. I've moved through a lot of fear and I feel like I can now move towards a direction of doing more things that are positive for, for for the world without the fear that I've carried in the past. Yeah. As you're speaking of it now, and as I watched that video the other day, I think the clarity and that energy of like something's brewing that excitement energy is so magnetic you know that was the first video I had seen of you and I was like who is she I need to connect with her and the same thing I think there's that energy of being on a precipice on the threshold and just being in tune with it and and welcoming it that I I love and like I said it's very like magnetic I 
I feel like we're probably going to take a little bit of a circuitous journey here, moving through, I guess, unpacking a little bit of what you talked about and being at the right place and what's coming next and fear. I wanted to come back to, though, for the moment, this element of fear and something that you told me the other day. So you were, you said a birth doula for 20 years, and now you're training to be a death doula. And you said that this work is so similar, that there's fear at both ends, at both birth and death. What has been, uh, I should say, what has being a witness to birth and death taught you about what it means to live? Oh, gosh. It's, it's everything encompassed at a birth. It's all of these emotions and all of this life's yearning and life's calling yeah. all in, in, a, in a body, in this yeah. woman's body. And to watch the experience of what she moves through and you see her move through fear and, and, and her body, you know, and being it just the will to her body. And then when she gets to the other side, you, you just get to see every single emotion of elation, um, tears, happy tears, scared tears, mm. Um, everything you, you just see everything all stacked in this, you know, and maybe 36 hours of labor and delivery. And then you see in this baby comes and it's just like mm -hmm. so much joy. So I think it's just this really condensed experience of so much emotion of what women are working through to have a baby. Mm. And then death is sort of, I think, this other side where it's compacted in this, it can be a, a short amount of time. It can be weeks, it could be months, it could be days, it could be hours, but it's still, if we think about the lifespan, a very compacted amount of time where so much has to be processed for that person to go on to the next place and it's physical, it's emotional. Mm. And then you see what families have to do on each side of that as they watch a woman birth or as they watch a woman or a person that they love pass. So it's this, this, these two very impactful life experiences, one that we will all have. Mm. And with both of them, they are things that are associated with loads of fear, generational um, experiences that people bring to the table from how their families have died or how death has happened in their families, what they know about it, what they don't know about it. And it's just something, especially for death, that no one is going to get out of. Mm -hmm. And yet we don't, we just live in a lot. We live in mostly fear around it. Mm -hmm. And I feel sad for us as a, as a culture that it has to be so scary for us in both places, because there are things, babies are going to always need to be born and we're always going to need to die. But there are these two places that we can look at where there's probably more fear than anything else that we have in our lives. And I'm wondering if the birth that you've witnessed, like a, a physical and actual birth, if you can take it to a metaphorical place, if there have been lessons in life, because I feel like we're afraid of birthing ourselves throughout life. Like there's that same stagnancy. We, we almost get paralyzed by it. We have to be revealed by it. Do you find that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think also with, with birth in particular, and as women in particular, we 
we're not taught to be warriors. Mm. Are we stopped being at some point stopped being taught to be warriors? We stopped looking at our intuition. We were, you know, we were encouraged to move away from that. Um, so all of our instinctual knowledge that we ever had as women in our culture is being shifted and moved away and we're not trusted. Mm. And so where we can't trust something, we fear it. So if we can't trust what our bodies need to do in labor, which is, can be normal and many, most of the time and natural, most of the time, then we fear it. And so we're as girls, again, especially, I think in my experience and my general community, we are, you know, we're given ways out as women, like, let me do that for you or no, 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 don't hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, don't, don't, if you try too hard, you're going to look this way. You can't look like you're tired and worn out. You know, you still have to look pretty when you're running the race, mm-hmm. you still have to have makeup on and your hair done when you're running as fast as you possibly can in the track meet or the cross country meter. And we're afraid of what our bodies look like if we're in certain States. And so I think that sort of way that we've been raised and brought up is hurting us when it comes time, when we really have to bear down and go to the deepest, darkest place, physically, emotionally, We've been taught to not ever go there, to not ever show emotion, to not ever cry or scream or cuss or, or like have snot coming out of our nose. So those are the the parts of labor that everybody, they're just like, but something's wrong. It's like, no, it's all right. It's actually all right. So if we can, I think in the ocean, what it does, and especially where we live, I live in a Northern California where the water is cold, the waves are hard, they're heavy, um, they're not soft and gentle. So here we're like freezing. We do have snot coming out of our nose. We're getting worked in the water and we don't know which way is up because the waves are so tumultuous. And so if we can teach girls how to keep trusting themselves, like you're, you're actually, you're good. You're supposed to look like that. If you just got tossed in the water. Yeah. Okay. If we just say, it's okay, you're doing it right. This is right. It's right. It's right. If we teach them when they're young, that this is all okay. And that their tears are, of course you would cry. It was scary. You're supposed to cry when you're afraid. It's normal. Then maybe when they're older, and they hit those same places that they're unsure of, then they'll go, oh, I'm used to being in these states. I can do this. I got this. But we just have moved away from it. And that's, I think, the problem is us moving away from from that warrior woman that people have forgot how to embrace. As you're talking, one of the things I, I was thinking is that Another reason why I feel like I feel drawn to your energy is because the truths that you're speaking and what you've embodied through your life, it seems is this, like it's freeing me. Hearing mm-hmm. you say these things, I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, like I, I feel freed from these expectations of uh, prettiness. And I don't even just mean aesthetic, like looking pretty, but just the ugliness that I don't, that maybe a lot of women don't allow or not allowed to be seen in, which is just like this warrior energy. Like you said, if you've been tossed around in the water, you're running a race or you're giving birth or whatever those things are, that of course it's going to be, you know, 
ugly, but I mean in the best raw. way. Raw, yes. <laughs> raw. Oh, that's that's a better a better word. I, I guess that brings me to, you know, this being your your fiftieth year. You've talked about it being like your year of saying yes, and you've said that it's like it's been a wonderful surprise. I'm curious how the world has gotten its messaging wrong about what it means as a woman to enter your 50th year. Um, you know, I just, I feel in so many ways they got it wrong because, well, one thing is I, my kids, my oldest child is 30 and my youngest is six. And so not, you know, I don't think we were told we can still be mothers to young children when we were 50, like that we would be healthy enough or that we could, you know, even have a baby at our age in our forties and, and absolutely we can. Mm -hmm. And I'm so, I love that I have a 30 year old and a six year old and, and all the in-between adult kids. But, and I think my kids have kept me, um, moving, you know, kept me doing things and like being active and in every stage of their life, I was following right along. And now with a six-year-old, I get to follow right along with him and be really healthy. And, but I also think, you know, even as far as like how we love and how we, how we have passion in our lives, I have my husband, um, he's, I've been married to him for six years. We've been together for um, almost 10. We have a beautiful, passionate, romantic, mm -hmm relationship courting each other and and um and having a a, a sexual life that mm. I never heard of about 50 year olds before yeah. um I'm in a body in a workshop doing on body work but I actually feel more confident than I've ever felt in my life and in my body um so I think no one told me that I was just going to have this new feeling of like of wanting to fall in love with my body again. Mm. And I love that I have women also in my life that are being that example for me to show me, how do you love this full body as you move into your fifties? And I'm just excited by so many things that are on the forefront for women. Like we're teaching women how to surf at 50 plus years old. We're going wow. on surf retreats with women with we just had a 65 year old on a surf retreat surfing for the first time and jumping off of the side of a, a big catamaran in the middle of the ocean. Mm. And so there's just so much freedom that we can have if we didn't allow life to like wear us down. And if we, you know, we try to just stay healthy, mind, body, and spirit, and just keep seeking and realizing that we could keep learning and I just wasn't really told that as a younger person. It was like, oh, 50. I, I remember when 40 was like this big deal. <laughs> I loved my 40s. I loved turning 40. And so now at 50, it's such a great surprise to feel. And, and I did, I have heard from other women who are older than me that say, you don't feel as old as you look, or you don't feel as old. You feel the same. I hear that mm -hmm. so many times and it's absolutely true. And, but there's so much more to learn and embrace. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of like my travel list that I still have just in the next year that I want to do. Mm -hmm. And the, the things I still want to do with friends, like there's just so much of life. And there's, and when you are 50, you have just learned from all of your experiences and you can, you don't have to be as afraid and 
and you're going to dance more because you don't care as much anymore. <laughs> and so what a wonderful time of freedom that I think is still not talked about, like this feeling of freedom that gets lifted after you turn a certain age. And I just want to keep having women in my life that are examples of that. And I want to be an example of that as I get older. I, I was just going to say that because I feel like this passion, this beauty of, of being 50 and beyond, is something that's been hidden away for so long. We don't see it on, in movies and TV. We, it hasn't been talked about. It's sort of been suppressed in a way. And I, I guess my question is, how do we you're leading by example, but how else, how do we counter this? How do we start shifting that narrative for young girls and for women? Cause I feel like there's still so many of us who are afraid of what we look like as we, like that's as, as, as if that somehow determines our worth or that we lose our value as we get older. Right. You know what I've been noticing and you know, I know social media is like they, they're feeding to you. Like yeah. I'm, I'm their customer. So they feed to me what I, they think I want to buy. Right. But right now, almost hundred percent of the images and the advertising that I get is for body positive advertising. Mm. It's women in bathing suits of every age, every body type in this one big bathing suit. And I'm just looking at like, I see it in a 25 on a 25 year old. I see it on a 30 year old. I see it on a 60 year old, gray hair, brown hair, red hair, like every, every person type. And I think that is, is key because the messaging we get and they are just feeding to the right person when they send me all these mm -hmm. images of bathing suit, like every kind of clothing, every kind of makeup, hair products, is all showing me these women that are up into their seventies, you know, modeling and who are showing like normal body types of normal breasts that change over a lifespan yeah. and normal rolls of tummies in bathing suits or underwear, or even in a jumpsuit. Like I love it. And it is doing the right kind of brainwashing for me. And I, I think what new marketing is doing for, to help all women is gonna, is changing the world. It's showing women who would have been afraid to be seen before, maybe because of, um, a birthmark or, you know, I don't know anything that the world would have said, no, no, no. And it's just, what's normal. And mm. I just love it because it is. And so I think media is important in this and where we put our dollars. I always say you're putting your dollars, your dollar is your vote. So if I'm spending on this body positive product, that's giving me positive messaging, that's my vote. Mm. So we need to put our money and our dollars where our vote is. And for me, that's like anybody who has a product that's going to be positive about the lifespan. I feel like you do that with the Wahini project, even in your 
just by taking pictures. The other day I saw a picture that was posted of, I think it was like older women who had been surfing for the first time perhaps. And I yeah. just loved even seeing, and I know it wasn't like meant to be like a, this is a body positive post, but I felt like I saw women of all different shapes and ages and colors. And it was just so beautiful and it felt real. And again, like that magnetic invigorating sense. And I, I feel like that's part of the principle behind the project in general, like offering or reclaiming the sea for more than just one type of person who has grown up with one type of background. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I mean, in the past, I mean, for sure, especially this ocean surfing lifestyle was very like, it was a monoculture. Mm -hmm. It was presented to us as a monoculture that you had to be, um, look like one person, have one body type, have one color hair, have one skin color. And that was the mold. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't fit into it, then you didn't fit into the whole, you couldn't fit into anything then. And I remember as a kid, just being really drawn to the ocean and drawn to this life of being in the water but feeling like an outsider, I, I could go to certain beaches and know that I was the only one who looked like my, like me. Mm. And I would just sort of quietly be there. And as I got older, I just was like, it it just shouldn't be this way. Why am I like being sidelined and then realizing like, Oh, you know, there's so many reasons why, um, cultures get sidelined that are, that are big reasons that are, like reasons about racism and mm-hmm. inequity. And I just have always felt like things should be equitable. And I thought, right. well, with the ocean, why does it, you know, I certainly don't fit the mold. And if I have this passion, I need to open the door for someone else to feel comfortable, mm-hmm. for someone else to feel like they could be at home. And for someone else to know, like, I know what it feels like to put on a wetsuit and be really self-conscious about it. And so, you know, we have wetsuit fittings for people where um, I just, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm the one who, who can be on the beach and do it. We can't, not everyone, but I can look at somebody and just know, okay, I know exactly what suit you need. And I don't need to talk about what size it is. Right. I don't need to talk about if it's a men's or a women's suit. I can grab it and I could go, here you go. And 99 point. Point nine percent of the time, it's going to fit them. Mm. And so they don't have to go through the thing of like, oh, what size is it? I got to try it on. It's not right. Uh, so I love still being a small community program where we can still teach and um, speak to every person individually so we can make it comfortable for them to fit. Because the wetsuit for us at the beach is the first thing they have to do. It's the first barrier. And if we can make that comfortable then I want to try to do that. But a lot of times it's people of color that have the, the really varying body types. Mm. And so if we don't have a community that can support them with a, a wetsuit and the right surfboard, that's going to fit them perfectly and make them feel comfortable and more balanced. You know, we want to have all that in place. And especially for people of color who often have just felt like, it just, they couldn't possibly be a part of it. Mm. I had never even considered that. Like you said, this is the first barrier before you even get to the sea, before you even learn to surf, that that's, that's something to consider. What I also love about it is not only are you 
reclaiming who deserves to have a relationship with the ocean. But that also, especially if you're looking at children, you know, do projects with schools, creating this sense of stewardship towards the ocean. Like, I feel like this is good for all of us because when you have that intimacy with the ocean, I imagine you want to care for it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, the big part of it. Like it, it is those stepping stones. Like when I'm writing grants, I, try, I you know, it, maybe it's an environmental grant and they want to prove that they want to know that we're doing all of these things to give kids um, education on the environment and how to be, you know, an environmental steward. And I have to like trace it back and say, well, if I don't have them in the right wetsuit to begin with, and that didn't go off well, then I can't get them to over here because I need to get them in the water (laughs) (laughs) and I need that to be really streamlined and them to feel safe and connected Mm -hmm. in, in, in their mind, body, and spirit. So they can take in the ocean, allow it to do that work of the fear and the connection and to allow them to feel like, oh, by the ocean. And then they can let everything down and go like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of trash on the beach. Mm. Or, oh my goodness, there's a, a, a bird that's dead on the beach that's wrapped in like a fishing line or a balloon. And then they'll go, oh, a balloon. I had a balloon at home or, and then they connect it back home. So until we get to this one, like social emotional part, Mm. we're not going to be able to get them to be stewards. But once we get them to that, we meet all their needs here. Then they start putting it into place. Like, oh yeah, the ocean, it needs help. It needs, I need to do what I can because they're seeing it, the, where we're at. It's like, I always say it's like, um, being in a safari. I mean, you see whales, you see dolphins, you see tire liar, um, lion sharks, you see rays, you see birds, you see harvest, you see everything. You can see it all in one day an otter. And so they're like, Oh my goodness. And there, it just clicks for them. And then it's like, well, I'm going to start using reusable containers at home because there's a Ziploc bag in the gar- in the o- floating in the ocean. And I found it when I was in the ocean. And so they start connecting the dots of like how their um, relationship with the world can affect taking care of the ocean. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. Cause I feel like it's a realization that change is not something that just happens intellectually. Like we're, we're told to do something, but it's experiential when you've lived it, when you're immersed in it, that that's when we start making those connections. I, I want to sort of move back a little bit to your place in life. Um, and you talked about this briefly before, but you've said that this moment feels like life is sort of intricately woven for you, that you're at this place that you feel like you're moving in the right direction. You're at the, the right place in your life. And that even you said like the hard parts, there's some sense of short, like steadiness in it. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering for listeners who might not know or, or feel unsure, what does being in the right place feel like? How do you know when you're there? I know when I'm there and I get these signs often where you know, it's, it can be something simple where I have, I see somebody's, you know, at the grocery store and I end up there, you know, they'll say, Oh, or my child is in your program. 
um, and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Can I share with you something that's going on with my family? Okay. So I end up having this conversation with someone with a parent who has told me now, maybe that, um, they have a sick family member and they want to tell me that what our program is doing is really helpful and it's, you know, it's just exactly what they need. And we're just having this moment. And then they're sharing with me how I can better maybe support their child. And we're just in this moment of both of myself and this parent, just like hugging at the end and so mm. grateful that we had this chance encounter at the grocery store and we hug and we're like, I am so glad we got to connect because we never have the chance to be. And we just, and I'm just feel I'm filled with so much gratitude mm. because I feel fed by them. I, you know, it was just beautiful. But when I look back, maybe an hour later, I was running late and I was maybe irritated. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the phone was something was wrong with the phone. And, and I had all these problems with the AT&T and, da, 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 and kept me on the thing. And but if I wouldn't have been <laughs> held back, I wouldn't have had that. It, it was the, the timing just aligned for that perfect encounter at Trader Joe's. Mm. And I'm like, well, everything's in line. Yeah. Because if I would have been off the phone, I would have been at Trader Joe's a half an hour early and never saw that parent mm. and never had that moment of just letting everything go and being there for that parent for that 10 minutes. And that feel like I feel like that 10 minutes changed my life. Yeah. So that's an example of like things that happen all the time and we discredit, oh, it was just a chance meeting or we discredit or we get, we get hung up on those things that hold us back. We perceive as like an irritation or a misdirection or, oh, then I had to go over there. But it's like, well, then I got to go over there. Yeah. I just, that's how I feel like my life is going where I can connect the dots to see shoot, if this wouldn't have been this time and it would have never happened and that had to happen. So then it all has to be in line for good because it got me to this moment. So I just see my life really as a series. I even, you know, I, I just see my life as a series of those situations that keep showing me, nope, you're on the right path. Nope. It's all good because you got to this point again. And I just keep getting back on the track and because I think I got off, but maybe I was never off. Maybe it was right on, but my mind wanted to say, oh, no, no, you were off the track. Mm. So. You use the word gratitude. And I feel like that's a good word because I feel like for me, when I feel in alignment, it's like I have these sudden moments or unexpected moments of gratitude. And yeah, it can be preceded by like, oh, a stressful thing. But when they keep popping up for me or keep appearing. There's this like, it's so nourishing and so filling that you realize like, oh, there's, there's something deeper that's happening. And I guess I'm wondering what it, what it takes to be in the right place. Like, do you feel like regardless of what you did in your life, things would have been fated to align to this moment or has it required putting in the work? Has it required things like taking a workshop with Jade? Has it required, like, I I'm curious what, yeah, I guess what it takes <laughs> to, to arrive in this moment. Yeah. Well, one thing is I have is I think it takes so many things, mm. but one thing that I, I definitely always rest on is, and, and it, I don't know, 
I, my grand, my great grandmother, both of, well, my great grandmother and my grandmother both came to the United States from Mexico. One came, um, she was raised in a convent. Um, she was an orphan. She came with a baby with my grandpa to the United States from Jalisco, Mexico. And they came to be work as uh, migrant farm workers. My other great, great grandmother, she um, was a bootlegger in Northern Mexico, but she had a situation where she had to, her, her baby was taken from her and as a teenager and she kidnapped her baby and fled to, to California by herself. And I think that's crazy. <laughs> so I believe in my bones that that uh, genealogy, mm -hmm. that ancestry has equipped me to face fear, to move through things and to trust and to, to take a leap when everything looks like it could be really difficult. Mm. So I believe that ancestry sits in my bones and lives and breathes in me because I mean, people may listen to this and say, well, but Dion, well, we, you know, what if you had this going on or what if it's like, I've had a lot of things happen in my life that could have sent me back. A tragedies, um, domestic violence in my family, um, drug overdoses in our family, suicide attempts with my, ch with my children, mm -hmm. you know, incarceration, things that have not been easy. But I believe still to this day that our family has gone through them some things that, but they make us stronger and they give us, if, if they, if they not only just made us stronger, but they give us some empathy into the lives of somebody else. I always feel like it's worth it mm -hmm. that I could go and sit and talk to a mom whose child is incarcerated. I can say, I know, I know what that fear is like. Who's, who's maybe had a, uh, inpatient because of, of, uh, depression. I know, but those places were really dark and we didn't, I didn't think I get, could I get through this, but we did. And so it does take, I think some grit. It takes, um, some encouragement from our, from our great grandmothers that we can do something, a belief in ourselves. And it takes like the moving past the fear of having to face some things about ourselves that, are not pretty mm. that we have to change and that that are difficult and we have to look at our own addictions and ways and that's really painful work mm. but it's I always feel for myself it's been worth it and yeah like classes with Jade maybe I needed to do it maybe I didn't yeah. you know I could have survived I could survive with this body image that I have with my life mm. but I'm thinking but there could be more yeah what? I'd love to live in a little in more freedom. So there's always more freedom if we're willing to like dig in deep in those dark places and to have the conversations that are scary. And something about me has made me believe it's worth it. Mm. And I hope at the end of my life, I can go back and go, yeah, it sure was worth it. Mm. But I feel like it has been up until now. Mm. I, I have a what I call a little lightning round for you. Um, but before we get there, I have one last question that I wanted to ask. And, and it's going back to our, our conversation a little bit on death before. 
it's been something that's sort of been top of mind for me. I have a, a loved one who's, who's very ill right now. And so the conversation in, in our family has been around death and this an end of life and, you know, just all the things that matter in those moments. And I'm wondering, we all go through, like you said, it's something that we can't avoid. We're all going to experience death personally. And also there's a metaphorical death that happens with each season in our life. Or it's, it's always a process of death and rebirth. Even when you were talking before that resilience that's in your bones is, is a part of that. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on how we can approach death, whether it's a physical death or this metaphorical seasonal death with, with grace or with some peace. Mm -hmm. Well, I always look towards ceremony mm. to um, navigate my way through difficulty. And I think when we have metaphorical deaths or time in, in our lives where we need to let things burn or let mm. things die so they can be reborn, ceremony becomes important. And that's something I think we've, we definitely have lost. It's not something I grew up with. It's just something that came my way in my early twenties to, to either create my own ceremony or to, or to bring in other people who are like-minded to process, um, like the, the bringing in water, bringing in mm -hmm. fire, bringing in our elements. They really can ground us. Those ceremonies were useful from the beginning of time and we lost them. So we can go towards those ceremonies when we have those seasons in our lives where we need to pass through the gates of some mm. place, a time and experience. And I believe that, and we, we use ceremony and birth. And I believe that as we are moving towards death as the dying one, if we're, if we, if, if it's, if it comes for us that we're, we know that we're going to pass, we don't, always know that, right. um, that we can bring in ceremony for ourselves and we can bring in these, these ancient ways that brought peace and understanding people are, are can be very faith-based. And I say, go to your faith, go to those spiritual values that have always made you feel connected. And for all of us, it's going to be something different but I encourage people like go to those ways of knowing that have been calling you through the faith that you were raised in or the faith that you have come to know as, as an older person and draw on those, those other ways of being that aren't so concrete. Mm -hmm. And I believe that they can help us through those, those most difficult times in our lives. Mm, and I, I love the way that ceremonies you said are like a way to process too, and sometimes process collectively in community. Uh, and just, I want to point out the image that you said, like passing through the gates. I just thought that was a, a beautiful image to consider. All right. So I've got a little bit of a lightning round for you. Um, sometimes I, I get a little bit more playful with you. They're, they're a little bit more, um, I don't know, introspective or reflective, I think. Uh, for each of them, I'm just going to ask you to finish the sentence. So the first one is, when I'm connected with the sea, I feel. I feel at peace. Mm. What I know now that I didn't know five years ago is. How beautiful it would be to get older. Mm. <laughs> if I could wish for anything, I would wish. 
this sounds silly, but it's it's world peace. Mm. <laughs> it's world peace. <laughs> That's beautiful. And you have your hands over your heart for everyone who can't see at home. It's just it's heartfelt for you. It's not just one of those like random things that people say. And and I the thing that I, I greeted you with when we first hopped on this call, I said, oh, you're wearing heart-shaped earrings. Because I feel like you just embody heart, I said, even in your accessories. So I love that world piece. In this moment, I am most grateful for. My family. Mm, beautiful. The last one is, if I could choose one word that embodies the essence of what I'm cultivating in my 50th year, that word would be? Love. Oh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, Dion, I was telling you before that, you know, I, I had a long work day and I was so looking forward to this conversation and it has been wonderful and surprising and nourishing in all the ways that I imagined and all the ones that I couldn't even have imagined. I'm just so grateful for who you are because I feel like I, I'm, I'm so blessed that I get to have this conversation because I leave more filled, more free, more like reflective and connected. So thank you for sharing this space with me. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And you know, it's the same for me. In Spanish, we say igual, igualmente. Everything you said is, you know, I'm reflecting that right back at you. As we have a conversation, we're equally healed. We're equally moving towards where we're supposed to be. So I thank you for the time that we've had together. Mm. <laughs> I need to know everything. Who and the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop in the Porsche, with five and a horse. I'm ready for war. I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything. Now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk. Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in science, then let them in talk up their body. Another one body, that's just how it go. I got some secrets, I'm shaking the game so they stay on their toes. Stay in your lane, I'll stay on the go. I can play with the pros and act like a rookie, so they overlook me. Then I double up again, none of their nose, none of them cold. They just got lucky but never adapted, so I'm to the one if it's coming to blows. My enemies cutting it close. I let them think that they got me, but what do you know? I had them beat before we ever spoke. I'm ready for smoke. I need to know everything, who and the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse I'm ready for war, I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost I need to know everything